What's up, guys? Episode 10 is here of the Simulacra podcast. Today, I have Daniel Joaquin Trujillo on the podcast. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Wow. I want to thank you for using all three names because there's so many Daniel Trujillos on the planet. It's like yeah. hard to differentiate between all of us. I always use all three names. Uh, so yeah, once again, Daniel Joaquin Trujillo. Um, I'm from Las Vegas. I'm a skateboarder and an augmented reality developer. And I do AI research. And I work in the film industry for my day job to support my habits of skateboarding and random research into things that I just find necessary to enrich my life. And yeah, you know, it's just working to support what I'm, what I, the passions that I have. And currently one of those passions has become my job, which is filmmaking. So it's, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's my intro. So um, I'm going to go ahead and link all of your social medias, your website and everything so people can check it out. So obviously nobody knows you yet, but you work in augmented reality, you do skateboarding and now filmmaking. So I'm, I'm sure you didn't do all those three things off the start. Did you get, in, is the skateboarding the first thing that you got into? Yeah, so skate skateboarding I got into when I was like nine, which was 1996. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've been skateboarding ago. for a very long time. And uh, so that goes hand in hand with filmmaking for a lot of people. Like Spike Jones, you know, he's a famous filmmaker. Uh, he started out making skate videos and stuff. And like, you know, skate videos are just a part of skateboarding. So it's like naturally came together. And then at the same time, like, when I started getting really heavy into making skate videos, that's the time that YouTube or like before YouTube, there were like other action sports sites and stuff like where people would just share video files. And it was like, you had to download the videos and things, which is funny thinking about now. Cause like streaming yeah, and all that. No, it's just streaming. Yeah. But, uh, and they were like really low quality. It was like 320p or whatever, just like microscopic, you know, it was like blobs skateboarding. And uh, so once like those sites started coming online, you know, me and my buddies would make skate videos, share them with people. And also it was, it sort of went hand in hand with the particular kind of skateboarding that I did called freestyle skateboarding, which is like the ancient kind from the eighties that sort of died off because it seemed really uncool because the fashion was terrible. You know, people wore short shorts and stuff and, it's like more what people perceive as like dorky kind of skateboarding and it's just technicality like you and the skateboard and nothing else like no obstacles so where versus like street where you're skating someone's rails out in front of their business or stairs or, vert or stairs you know things like yeah. that and uh so freestyle like didn't really have a community in the early 2000s and once like before it kind of coalesced into social media there were like online forums and stuff where me and a bunch of people started like becoming friends and then being able to share videos through these video sharing websites 
and then we all started like skating meeting up with each other and stuff like that and making skate videos and now it's sort of like youtube came about in 2005 and it really like exploded the the ability to share videos and stuff and that's how it led to filmmaking sort of like so around like around 2009 or so you know when the like market crash happened back then and the economy just tanked immensely i ended up started working in robotics and then you know just skateboarding and filmmaking were like a side thing although i used that to support my like skate trips and stuff because i'd always like piggyback going to japan or like some other place you know just with skateboarding like use that as 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 an excuse to go somewhere and travel the world because like oh there's a competition in philadelphia i've always wanted to check Mm -hmm. that place out so i'm gonna go there for that reason and then still explore you know and uh so yeah that and so then the video sharing websites tied together with skateboarding and the robotics thing sort of let me do it as like a like always have like the secondhand freedom thing from my job and then I was offered a filmmaking job after that that just really pushed me forward and gave me even more freedom to go skate and stuff and gave me access to a whole bunch of video equipment and that's how I sort of fell into augmented reality stuff was I was working in film and we were trying to find e well, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, when I was doing robotics, I worked on a project for a short amount of time. I was on the DARPA Robotics Challenge team for UNLV. And they, like, the DARPA Robotics Challenge was essentially you build a humanoid robot to act as a firefighter, essentially, to go into disaster areas and stuff. And this was because of Fukushima happening, you know, the nuclear reactor the, melted because uh-huh. meltdown, the earthquake. earthquake and stuff. So yeah. they couldn't send people in there or they would send people in there and they would just die afterwards. So it was like either a death sentence or just let it keep overflowing. Exactly. And that's how I got into like computer vision stuff was being on that team for a little while. And then the filmmaking led to augmented reality because of uh, us trying to get into really easy, quick animation and stuff. And it just sort of, all the pieces just fell into place, you know? It was like a weird epiphany moment. Like, I always describe it as like aliens beam stuff into my head because I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm just some, some dude from Eastside Las Vegas, you know? I don't know how to do this stuff, but yeah, somehow I do. It's just... I, I didn't expect the story to unfold like that. It's interesting how you this main passion of skateboarding branched off into other things like filmmaking and AR, which would never be the first thing coming to mind with skateboarding. But sticking to skateboarding for now, you also have your own brand slash company, Walt Skateboarding. Uh, did a little bit of research, did a little bit of research, had to come prepared. So how did you... What what made you decide, I'm going to make my own brand? I'm going to make my own skateboards, clothing, whatever it may be. And how, how did that process go? Um, so there there's a, a pretty famous, two I guess two famous groups of like YouTube skateboarders that I'm re- I've become really good friends with. 
Um, one would be Andy Schrock, who's in Revive and stuff. And like, he's got his own huge YouTube channel. It's like millions of, I don't remember how many. It was like last I checked over 2 million subscribers, you know. And I know him through the skateboard world, you know, because skateboard world's a lot smaller than it seems, I guess, maybe to some people. So it's like, you know, someone, then you know, someone and you just, it all, all the pieces fall into place there. And so, and I, I'd mentioned to him how uh, Braille was the other, the other big company that sort of inspired me to do this. And they, uh, so Andy had mentioned to me one time that he really appreciated freestyle skateboarding and stuff because they do street and vert street and transition stuff mostly and he had mentioned how he appreciated it and stuff and i was like oh would you ever sell stuff or like start a company and he was like no but if you did you know you'd have our blessings essentially and once you like kick enough ass then we'd sort of support you and then i was speaking with one of my buddies who's who I think two or three time world champion. His name is Mike Osterman. He's the co-founder of Walt Skateboarding. Um, and we decided that like, hey, maybe it was actually Black Friday of 2016, I believe. So it was like exactly four years ago yesterday, as of this recording. Um, he and I were talking about it and we were just like, yeah, we should start our own company and just sort of worked on it for a little while, hashed things out and, uh, started making our own stuff. And it's amazing that how much support we've had and how much it seems like, like one couple of our focuses have been like teaching people how to skateboard and like teaching freestyle and just like enjoying skateboarding and not necessarily trying to be the Tony Hawk or Rodney Mullen or whatever. Um, like skateboarding itself is the enjoyment. And that's sort of what Braille and Revive emphasize too. And it's like more humanizing of them instead of looking like they're untouchable godly beings that can jump yeah. down 20 stairs and not die somehow. Yeah. Um, so focusing on like the enjoyment of skateboarding itself and then teaching people how to skateboard at the same time and being in, inclu it, intentionally really inclusive of people because skateboarding's generally not very friendly to women and people that aren't like macho tough guy dudes essentially which i know a lot of people would argue with that and say yeah you know there's black skaters there's girl skaters all that but it's still like rare you know it, it's it's not like a 50 50 split like there is in the population it's still like almost right. all guys and, and it's like almost all white guys or and it's it's a really weird thing like how the the antithesis the of, of it. yeah like the antithesis of freestyle was like to become macho and like be appear as tough as possible in a lot of cases not all cases so it's like extreme generalization here but it was like you gotta be like this this hardcore to be a skateboarder and that just automatically excludes a lot of people i guess yeah and 
you know, they're just unfriendly. And I, I'm sure you've seen videos of people skater raging, like destroying their skateboards and being dickheads to security guards and stuff, which sometimes understandable, but it's a nice unnecessary a lot of times. So that's sort of why we started Waltz was to one support freestyle only and do only freestyle related skateboarding but also be inclusive of other things like you know hey if you want to come ride your longboard with us that's cool or you know fill in the blank i guess yeah but so so since you do teach is it mainly based in in vegas a lot of it's through like video trick tips and stuff through, through our YouTube channels and Instagrams and stuff. So although b before COVID, we would have regular uh, sessions and like meetups and stuff, primarily in Long Beach, because there's not really any other freestyle skateboarders in Vegas. Like there's, there's one like solid freestyler besides me and then a couple people that can do a little bit, like, but there's not really any like, full fully developed yeah, freestyle proper, skateboarders. Yeah. yeah um so so a lot of it's in california and stuff or through video conferencing type things like live streams and trick tips and that shows like how much different it is start being able to start a business now with social media and zoom calls like this or being able to post videos so how are you able to start a following uh a lot of that was one just engaging audiences a lot or like building our own audience by engaging people that just generally like freestyle or seemed like they would sort of gravitate towards freestyle and um so one like like me and mike both have proximity to like even bigger names than us in skateboarding. So, you know, social media and being proximal to more famous people gives you bumps in that regard. And then Mike is, like I said, I think the three-time world champion. <clears throat> so it's like- Pretty big deal. Developing clout through just like chiseling yeah, yeah, away yeah. at social media and stuff. And really a lot of it is Mike because he's just, like relentlessly posting uh relentlessly making sure our, our social media and his social media don't like go backwards you know because if you don't mm -hmm. engage your audiences a lot people forget or they're like all right i'm bored of this and stuff like yeah. that so just regularity and scheduling and stuff is i think a really big part in that and, and building so, quality products and stuff so you're a founder of that business while you also work in robotics yeah well i don't work in robotics anymore it's mostly a, it's a hobby although i do like independent like freelance work in that regard now how did you get started what did you work in when you first got into robotics that one's actually another one of those weird roundabout stories like i would say i trace it back to uh so I've always had an interest in like sciences and stuff because my grandfather was uh, an engineer for NASA 
and he helped work on like the Apollo missions and stuff and like the Saturn rockets and all that. So obviously you don't like absorb that knowledge or anything. It's not like I was like, oh, I'm learning stuff because my grandpa was smart. Yeah. Um, but then uh, my dad had some pool companies when I was growing up and I helped them or I helped him and his company do the electronics and pools growing up like programming the time clocks and stuff and those are really similar to these controllers that they used in robotics like a decade and a half ago or so and they're called x10 controllers and so using that knowledge i essentially was able to get the job at the robotics place combined with the fact that i haven't I'm like really obsessed with electric vehicles and I have been since I was like 15, 16 years old. It was sort of like my, I will never have a gasoline powered car. Like that was sort of my oath, although I've had a couple, but they were like classic cars and stuff. Cause you know, you can't. Is that like an environment based thing? It's that and just not liking the the way the oil industries run and the way they sort of don't benefit the world in a lot of ways. Like I know, of course, they make plastics and stuff, which like my microphone right here is made of the plastic that came from the oil and stuff. So yeah. obviously I can't like make your way those. around that. But yeah, you know, it's just trying to avoid giving this like, endless amount of money to them which i know they they own the power companies but nevada gets a good percentage of their electricity from renewable resources which you know there's like this whole loop of like well you know then the way they generate that comes from vehicles that they use to mine the materials to build the solar panels and yeah i don't you know it, as long as I'm not constantly burning fuel myself, right. then it's a little bit of, it's a little bit, little piece of the puzzle, I guess. In, in the last election, though, no, I'm pretty sure Nevada voted to have 50% renewable energy or something by 2030, I think it was. Yeah, I think so, which, you know, that's, it's a good step for sure, but I feel like the way the state's going about it because of lobbying from NV Energy, they tend to err on the side of having centralized power generation. So like NV Energy has their like, whether it's solar or natural gas or whatever, wind, they're still generating off site and you can still have blackouts that way. And you still lose a lot of power in the transmission of power, like, because you have to move it across huge distances. So you're still losing a whole bunch of that gain that you made. So I personally think like decentralized solar, where everyone essentially has their own battery pack and solar generation on their house is obviously a much better idea. And then have that augmented by NV Energy generating electricity. Yeah. Although you can't force people to get solar power. But you can force them <clears throat> you, through, through legislative action, like Envy Energy did, you can block efforts for people to do so and block incentives for that and stuff, which don't kill me, Envy Energy. Um, just, uh, <laughs> just speaking. Don't think they're going to see it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, but it was it was nice that you talked about that because I'm not that educated on on politics or I, I used to be interested, but I feel like while I am entering the age where I have to worry and vote, I also don't want it to like overcome my life. So I don't understand the whole lobbying and energy or any of that. So thank you yeah. for that little it's education a, moment. Yeah, you, you don't have to worry about that for, for a little while, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, segue. You released a movie, I think it was just under a year ago, just under a year ago, called Primitiva. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. And did you actually record that in Costa Rica? I said, I saw something about Costa Rica. Almost all of it was filmed in Costa Rica. There's like one tiny scene that was filmed in a park in California because we didn't, we were incapable of shooting it when we were in Costa Rica because we ran out of time. And then there's one other scene that was filmed actually in front of the Orleans here, but you can't really tell unless you're like looking for it. <laughs> so it's like, it was almost all Costa Rica though. So I, last episode, I just had a UNLV film student come on and talk about how he's involved in film and how they network for, for actors and such. So I, I'm also interested in how you met this group of people that were willing to act in this smaller movie. Like how, how was it produced? What role did you play in it? Uh, do you want to go ahead and elaborate on that? Yeah, that because that one's a that's a weird story. It's like I I looked a little bit into it. It was uh, trippy to say the least. So through Instagram, which you know, connecting back to social media and allowing these things to happen yeah. and making it easier for stuff like this to happen. Um, through social media, I met these two sisters, Kansas Bowling and Parker Love Bowling, and they. Uh, they were coming to Vegas one day and like they, Kansas had filmed a trauma film, which is trauma is like a low budget, like gory type studio. Like they just make all sorts of B movies. And she had released a movie on that and I had seen it and I saw that they were in Vegas. So I was like, Hey, let's meet up and like talk about movies and stuff. And uh, we did that. And then a couple weeks later, she Kansas had posted something on Instagram like hey if anyone wants to be a part of a movie in Costa Rica hit me up and I guess I was one of the first people to respond to it so originally I was just supposed to act in the film like I was just playing a character and that was all and and I'm trying to think of what things to because there, it's a really long, complicated story, but I'm trying to keep it semi-condensed. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so the, I was originally just supposed to act in it. And then there was the, one of the filmmakers, like the cinematographer, or director or something, couldn't make it for some reason. And this was like the day before we were flying out. And so it's like T minus one day or so. And... <laughs> because they couldn't come their spouse didn't want to come and then because those two weren't coming like the uh, like the entire film crew just dropped out so it was like all the actors were left and on the part like, a day before yeah and i was like well i already got this ticket and i already took the time off work so i'm going and i want i want to make this film so i'll bring all my cameras and stuff and i did i brought cameras that i borrowed from work and some cameras that i one camera i had just purchased and a drone and 
like because I had a bunch of borrowed equipment essentially. And we went out there with no script and everyone that you see in the film is everyone that helped make the film. Well, other than like the music and stuff, but everyone that was in the film was part of the crew at any given point in time. Like whenever you don't see someone on camera, they're probably behind the camera doing something. And so switch to another point, like while we were out there filming, actually before I get to that, so we got there, no script, and we had like a meeting where it was like 15 minutes long and I have like the video recorded from a GoPro that I just set in the corner of the room where Kansas described what she remembered from the script and we just like wrote it down, like what we got to get done in this movie. So that whole movie is based on like a description of a script that we never had a copy of and like like third hand dictation of script and writing down. And then, you know, we were just impromptu, just making all the lines in the movie are 100% made up. So even the rambly, weird conversations we made up on the spot. And I don't know if you, you ended up seeing a part or seeing anything about how I almost drowned making the movie, but there was one point when I was filming like some of the, there's a lot of really cool drone footage in the movie. And while I was filming some of that, like I apparently caught part of Kansas being swept out into the ocean, Kansas. And uh, I think Kevin Haland and someone else, you can see him like sort of getting swept out into the ocean. Cause I had already gone out there and was like, this is way too strong for me. I'm not, I can't swim in this. So I'm going to do the drone stuff. And then right when I'm landing the drone, I could hear like, help me, help. And, you know, Kansas is out there drowning and stuff. And I'm like, oh shit. I look around <laughs> and there's no lifeguards out there. And it's just like super crazy waves. And I'm like, oh no, what do I do? And I found some other people like a little ways away from us. And I was like, hey, go get a lifeguard. I'm going to go out there and try to save her. So I go out there and I get swept up in the waves too. And it's just like madness. I was convinced I was going to die. I was like 100% convinced. I'm like, holy shit, I'm dead. This is it. I just made a terrible mistake. And then at the same time, uh, Calvin Madsen, who is actually Michael Madsen's son. Um, he's in a bunch of Quentin Tarantino movies and stuff. And actually the bowling sisters are also in uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. So you know, there's that. I've been wanting to watch that movie, but haven't been able to get it. But that's interesting. Sorry. Yeah. So Calvin helped, you know, assisted in the saving both of us from drowning. It was like, no one can take credit. It was like just sort of a group effort, but we probably all would have died if we, all three of us weren't together trying to save each other from drowning. And it was insane. It was like, one of those moments that's that I think is like forever burned into my mind and I don't know if it was 10 seconds long or if it was 10 minutes long or it was or an hour. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. And then the whole time while I'm like trying to get to shore, I like look and I can see those two guys that I told to get a lifeguard just standing there watching. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get back to shore and kill those guys. <laughs> but they didn't get anybody. No, they didn't. They were like, hey, look at this. 
Yeah. Didn't even didn't even bust out their phones to film us dying or anything, you know. The least you could do nowadays. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's kind of a crazy experience to just get this group together and f- go to Costa Rica to record it. How how was that decision made? Um. So the movie was supposed to be just based in the jungle, and for some reason they decided on Costa Rica. Like I had nothing to do with that decision making. It was like decided on Costa Rica, I assume, because it's cheap and it's friendly to Americans and (laughs) there's animals there, which if you watch the movie, there's a whole bunch of B-roll of animals because in the original, like, rough cut of the film, there wasn't enough footage to make, like, a full-length movie. And I was like, well, I filmed a whole bunch of bugs and sloths and other random crap the whole time I was there because I was so excited to be there that I'd just wake up at like five o'clock in the morning when this monkeys started making noises and stuff and went out there and just filmed like ants doing their ant jobs and millipedes yeah. and stuff. So Enjoy there's the a whole nature. bunch of that. Yeah. Which is, you know, it, it wow. was crazy contrast from Vegas because Vegas is... There's nothing here. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's nothing. It's very sparse in terms of, like, yeah. compared to the jungle. Unless you go out into the mountains, there will be a couple snakes or or bobcats. But it's, yeah, yeah that sounds like an amazing experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, and, and what was it like releasing it? Sort of seeing public's reaction and whatnot. Um, it's been interesting because... There, there was a whole bunch of things that were just sort of left out of the movie that, or like that we didn't get to film in terms of like what the original plot was. And there was so much like loose interpretation of what the plot was. Like I never saw a script for it until like I was done editing it essentially. And then I saw like the original script and I'm like, oh, okay, this is how this is supposed to pan out. But I was already done editing basically. So it seems to be like, because the movie itself was like really loosely assembled in a way that like, it's almost like a weird fever dream or something. And it's not like a really definitive plot. And it's all connected with, tied together with like weird hallucination sequences and stuff that I used, uh, I used AI to do those scenes in it. So the public reaction, uh, it seems like most people like it. People seem to find a few parts really funny. Like there's a part that I inserted at the last moment, actually, the part that I filmed at the Orleans where there's just a random song thrown into the movie and it's also like a simpsons joke so it's like this multifaceted joke thrown into the movie that also ties to the plot of the film and it's also referencing this movie called a streetcar named desire and so it's like a people seem to like that part a lot just because it's like at Simpsons and it's a Marlon Brando reference and it also ties to the plot of the movie. And then also, actually, you had mentioned in your previous podcast, Tommy Wiseau. I wasn't aware mm. of this until I saw the movie because I'd seen The Room a million times and I'd actually gone and saw him in LA and met him and stuff, which he's exactly as weird as he seems on film. 
or he's just constantly putting on this act that he's that weird, but that's that's the crazy part. Is it a character or is he genuinely like that? Seems like he's genuinely like that. And I didn't know until Disaster Artist came out that he also used the same exact scene from Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> like he emulated that as well. And they reference it in uh, Disaster Artist. So I was like, man, this, I, I made this joke preemptively. And I also referenced the room in that movie. So it's like, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to watch the whole movie you made. I, I saw a couple scenes. Uh, one where the guy's screaming about the tea and having bad dreams. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, I'd have to watch it later on my own time. Yeah. Uh, and actually that, that scene was one of the hardest to edit because I shot a whole bunch of stuff on a steady cam and the camera that you see, I don't want to go too much into like director's commentary for this movie, but like all the stuff that you see was a camera that I just set aside because we had no external audio equipment. So the camera was just sitting there to record the audio. And I was doing a whole bunch of like cool, fancy steady cam work and stuff. And that footage ended up getting lost. And then, so that was difficult. So I had me crossing frame a whole bunch of times with the steady cam in front of the, the camera that was recording the audio. And then you can also see me moving around in the reflections in the background, like, cause there's some images behind them of like tarantulas and stuff like framed pictures behind their heads. You could see me moving around and all that. So I had to like cut myself out of all that stuff. I'm like, do I had to do some, what was at the time really difficult editing work for me to remove myself. You edited the whole movie. Yeah. So and, must, must feel pretty proud when you're done with the final product. Yeah, and I've actually I've actually been editing another movie that I filmed like during the shutdown, which I guess we can get to that later. Shutdown when we have that conversation. But Definitely, yeah. I'm in the middle of editing another movie right now that I'm trying to get done before the end of the year. So I didn't actually know this until you mentioned it, but I I did see the scene in the movie where it's sort of like a hallucination and it's pretty trippy and it's. Uh, overlapping the actors and all that and you said that you used AI to make that yeah and you also create AI that makes its own art or own faces uh, how do you program that how did you learn how to do that um I, I guess I can't say that I take credit for like creating any of that stuff because like the way a lot of this works is just like stacking up work on top of other people's work. So it's just like build, building on the shoulders of giants, you know, as the, the phrase and goes. Yeah, it just learns on its own. Um, well, so I guess it, it, it vary depending on which specific thing I'm talking about, like the, all the literature stuff that I do. Like recently I've been using GPT-2, which is uh, OpenAI, which is the company that Elon Musk invested a bunch of money into starting. And people have been using that to like write newspaper articles and stuff and all sorts of crazy things. But so, and then like a bunch of the visual stuff has been just work that other other people have done like researchers and the way I've learned how to do it 
because like I said, it, it's just like sort of depends on which thing I'm talking about, which one, how much work I put into it. It's really just like repurposing something that someone else did and changing what it's used for. And the way I learned how to do it, there was this YouTuber that a lot of people seem to hate now because he sort of scammed, I say that with air quotes around it, he scammed a bunch of people, <clears throat> me included, but I wasn't mad about it at all. Um, he signed, he had a class that, well, he, he makes a bunch of YouTube videos describing how to use AI and like things you can do with machine learning. So I learned a bunch of the foundations from that. And then GitHub, um, it's like where the world's developers essentially dump all their code so people can learn faster that's updated in real time. So essentially, as soon as research papers come out or people publish their code, it's available to the whole world. So <clears throat> whereas before, like I would have to pay for classes or something to learn yeah. all this stuff or check out books from a library and do whatever people used to do back then, you can instantly access the stuff the moment it's published. And that's how I've learned how to do this and AR stuff. So it's like just everyone in the world's essentially in a race at this point, learning how and to do And they're just hobbies. Yeah. For, for me, at least it, right now, I'm like in the middle of making it into a job slash career, which I'd somewhat successfully done right before the shutdown. And then it all sort of crumbled and stuff, but you know, that's so do you want to go story. ahead and get into that now? Um, well, I feel like, I feel like maybe we can, you know, we can save that for the final part because, because yeah. it all connects to the augmented reality stuff and all this other, all these other things that you might want to talk about before. So I'm not just talking about a bunch of random stuff that people have no idea what I'm saying, you know? So augmented reality, something that I, I am curious about is what would it be used for? Um, so, well, I guess to to explain before people, so before I explain the uses, I want people to like understand what it is if they don't. Is, yes. Whereas like Pokemon Go is a perfect example of it where it displays digital information over the real world. Whereas it could be on a phone or it could be with glasses, like, you know, some of these ones you might see back here, but if you're listening, you can't see. I was going to ask you about those. Yeah. Um, so either using head-based displays or a smartphone or even like some other things, which I guess we won't get into, uh, you can display digital information over the real world. And that can be either audio or visual. And like I said, visual like Pokemon Go or Snapchat filters even loosely qualifies AR. And with auditory stuff, you could do like blind assistance. So it could use computer vision. Like it could, you could basically be wearing glasses and anywhere you'd point your head, it would detect objects and say, dictate to you through headphones or like headphones built into the ears or the ear holder things on glasses. Um, like there's a car 10 feet in front of you or you're approaching a crosswalk or things like that. It's interesting you mentioned that there's this YouTuber who creates a bunch of crazy stuff like he made baseball bat, which 
hits the farthest. And I remember he he had this one video where he programmed this his own application that did exactly that, where the camera of the iPad was able to see obstacles in front of him and guide him. So the iPad would guide him and he would be blindfolded and it'd tell him where to go. Interesting. Uh, so, I'm, so I, I'm guessing it relates to that where it would tell you there's something in front of you. Don't go in that direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Sorry. Keep going. No, no. Um, you're, you're good. And I definitely want to, you know, when we're done with this or whatever, I definitely want to see what that is. Cause I, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll find the channel. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So then like uses for AR, you could have like the blind assistance thing that I mentioned or video game type stuff. Like, cause games are cool and everyone loves games and all that yeah you could also use it to like visualize data for like archaeology or medical stuff or industrial manufacturing type stuff um i used the nreal glasses which are like glasses type ones which once again sorry people that won't be able to see it but they're like these um look almost like normal glasses just with cameras in the the lenses and then they have displays built in and i was able to use those to always have an image of something that i was trying to paint and i painted a mural recently by using those glasses and just always having the image of the thing i'm trying to paint in front of me instead of having to look at a separate and picture and stuff even if it's that close to your eye you can see it just fine and clearly yeah and so you can use it for that kind of stuff you can also use it for like navigation like indoor navigation or outdoor like like google maps they're coming out with real-time ar navigation i think it's supposed to be in the newer ones but i don't know haven't been out using maps lately um yeah it can be used for translation and uh like translation and also like like American or sign language recognition, so it can translate yeah, sign ASL. language. And uh, oh I mean, wow, that yeah. would be interesting if somebody was speaking to you in sign language and they would instantly translate it with the camera. Yeah, I've seen some like crude and, examples of that. And and in the future, it'll probably you'll be able to scroll through social media on it eventually. Oh, I mean, you can already do that. I I do that all the time on the the things that I have on the glasses. Yeah. And how do you control it? There's, well, since I have so many different kinds, it's like, depends on which one I'm using, but the, the Enreal ones, like the Enreal Lite or Enreal Dev Kits that I have, you can either use your phone as the, as the processing power and controller, or you can use like their compute pack that they, it comes with, which is like a little tethered, battery and computer is essentially a smartphone without a screen on it and they also have a controller that goes with that it's a little crude and stuff but um and then with a magic leap headset like those are some of the like more high-end ones they you can use hand tracking you can do eyeball tracking and voice recognition which the Enreal is supposed to be able to do voice recognition and hand tracking soon but it's not white there it's really just a matter of people catching up with the software where like they're sort of depending on independent developers and magically 
they had billions of dollars and had in-house developers for a lot of that stuff. Um, which then once you have, so, you know, you said you can scroll through social media and stuff from there, you can do like remote collaboration. Like instead of having a zoom call, like on a flat screen like this, um, if it was implementing the, one of the other things you might've seen an example of called volumetric video, where it's essentially like a sphere of cameras around a person or an object and it they're all pointing inward and it builds like a 3d model of whatever's at the the center point of all that so you have like a full hologram of a person like star wars or whatever else uses holograms well, like what they do for video games too when they scan yeah sort of sort of like that and and but it's it's video that's all stitched together instead of like motion capture or just scanning okay. and then rigging a model. Like this is like the person actually moving around and stuff. So you could use that technology and have like virtual video conferencing sort of like we're having now, but you would, instead of being in your room, just on your glasses. Yeah, we'd have glasses on and I'd have a hologram here and we could be face to face and showing off, uh, uh, you know, we could show data or whatever it was that you could see what I'm seeing, essentially from my point of view. Could you possibly. do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's totally possible. That's like doable today. Like that's well, it has cameras on it, so yeah. And then, what like... do you? Sorry, yeah. continue. No, 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 no. You, you continue. This is new to me. I haven't, I've, I haven't heard of this technology before. And I, I saw some examples of it on, on your social media. Before I, I ask that other question, how, how are you able to record what the glasses are, are showing you? Um, well, some of them, like you might be able to tell why I just stuck my, my smartphone up there and recorded through the glasses that way. But a lot of them either have built-in uh, screen recording functions so it records what a camera's seeing and also records whatever it's superimposing on it and just sort of m mashes the two on top of each other. Um, so there's the built-in ones and then there's also like developer type, like Magic Leap has it built in. You don't have to do anything. Unreal and Mad Gaze, like this, this other one back here is called Mad Gaze Glow. Um, those you have to put it in there yourself when you're developing whatever application you're building because they're not, they're like just getting to the point of being consumer devices. So they don't have like a whole ecosystem of app of apps built. So it's yeah. really up to what, whoever the developer is has to put the recording. So that on. sort of leads, leads into what I was going to ask is, which might be a really broad question, but what sort of what future do you see for the use of augmented reality glasses? Um, Let's see, it's sort of, so immediately, like what's possible is, you know, all the stuff I had already mentioned. And then it can, like the technology that's available today, it, like we can do spatial mapping of the insides of buildings. So you could have games that interact with the real world. Um, like, so the iPhone 12, you know, I don't have one, but iPhone 12s have LiDAR on them, but with that, they do really good mapping out of rooms and stuff. And 
you can do, like I said, you can, that can be implemented into games and stuff. But it can also be implemented into like, like mapping applications. So then they can have, say, if you're walking down the street with your augmented reality glasses, you can have everyone's greatest dream, everyone's biggest dream. You can have ads for whatever crap that they want to throw out in the real world all over the place. And you could get, you could also have, say, digital screens on certain walls in your house that only you can see. Um, so, like, that's one of the things I really like with Magic Leap. You can have, like, persistent uh, applications. And so I, I can turn it on, and then I have, like, screens always in certain parts of my houses or in certain parts of my house. Um, so if I want to view like my image gallery or whatever, I can always have it in my you living watch room. Watch a movie, listen to music. Yeah, and then there, you can always do that. You can have a big, it can amount to like a hundred and some odd inch screen, a couple of feet away from you. So you have like basically your own theater, although the sound's definitely not as good as a theater. Um, but so this might be a little bit of an ignorant question. Obviously, that this technology isn't glasses, but would, for example, the technology that Tesla is using to create their self-driving car programs, would that count as augmented reality? That's part, that's sort of two things, and that's spatial computing, which, so it's spatial computing and computer vision, and they all sort of rely on each other, like not in augmented reality, but uh, spatial computing is like what they've, called the fourth wave of computing or like one of the facets of the fourth wave of computing where the first wave was just building the giant mainframe computers that took up entire buildings. You had punch cards and stuff in like the 1960s. And then the second wave of computing was personal computers. So like computers moved from like big institutions to people's houses. And, yeah. and then from there, the third wave of computing was like centralized or data centers, like offsite data centers and stuff, and mobile computing, you know, in the early 2000s and stuff when smartphones came about and the, you can always have a computer on you. And then the fourth wave is the spatial computing and AI and the internet of things and all these things sort of blend together to with, like I said, some of these terms are interchangeable and a lot of academia don't fully agree on what counts as one or the other, but Tesla or other automated vehicles or autonomous vehicles, they rely on spatial computing and computer vision to detect and understand the world around them. And that's the same technology that you use to do augmented reality and yeah. volumetric video. So it's like that, that's, it's the same that's technology, why I was a bit just, just applied slightly differently. Applied differently, yeah. Because I remember seeing one of the test drive videos where it does show how it maps out the car's surroundings and the lanes in the street and how it adjusts itself. And so it's sort of like overlaying the image of the world. So that's sort of what I was uh, curious about. Yeah. Uh, um, to, to expand a little bit more before we go on to that, um, 
I'll just try to run through some of the the points because I had some points set aside yeah, like just for like say the future of augmented reality and stuff because there's so yeah. many things it can be applied to like telepresence like I already explained using volumetric video and stuff and then spatial mapping and all of this is relying currently on like big bulky headsets and you know it's starting to move into glasses and stuff and then in the with current technology you can also use computer vision with those kinds of glasses to detect like gas leaks and stuff because you can see different spectrums of light with the sensors that with the sensors that detect the rooms around you they're called depth sensors or and they use infrared so being using infrared you can essentially start coming out with like real-time predator vision if you ever seen the predator movies where he can see heat signatures uh -huh. and stuff. um yeah you don't need to necessarily it's like this alien it's an example it's an alien example. comes to earth and he can see like the infrared spectrum essentially using augmented reality which is funny now that i right. put it to, like that but you could also even see like blood vessels and stuff so it can work with like medical uh like the medical field and then for some more ridiculous future things because that's all stuff that's possible now like there's like they're gonna have wireless glasses that rely on 5g and computing done off the glasses whereas now they're tethered to a computer and then you can more quickly translate sign language and languages and stuff like that and then telepresence with sensors that are based in the glasses so you don't have to have like a huge capture studio or a separate camera for the volumetric capture and then like i said you might be able to have superpowers like seeing other superpowers with quotes around it like seeing yeah. other spectrums of light or like gamma radiation or things like that because they could integrate other more powerful sensors and then you could also be able to control those things using like eegs like a electroencephalogram which detects brain waves and stuff which actually i have a headset somewhere it's out of reach i guess but like that's all possible still today but. oh i i think i i watched this documentary and uh, they used an eeg in it so yeah. um and, and i could definitely see a doctor slapping some of those glasses on to help in surgery or whatever it may be if they if you can see blood vessels and everything yeah and like uh, that those applications are just starting to be used and stuff as so so maybe a more controversial question and again quite new to this and ignorant on it but if everybody just had their glasses on and was scrolling through their own social media and only they could see it or you were watching a movie and only you could see it would do you think we would become more detached or more separated i guess if everybody was just living in this own augmented reality i think that is entirely possible and i'm actually loosely working on the script for a film because the first two movies that i've made were like me making other people's movies and i want the next one that i make to be something that i make myself like from the ground up and that's sort of what I'm trying to explore in this movie where 
it it might revolve around a pandemic type situation or like extreme isolation situations where people end up becoming detached in that sort of regard and essentially to the point of addiction because that's also definitely possible because social media oh, yeah. addiction is a real thing and or just internet <laughs> addiction is a real thing and i feel like it could definitely have some like physiological effects like it might really start messing with our eyeballs or the way our neurons work in terms of our like visual cortex or something and it can also have some like extreme psychological effects like detachment and just once again repeating myself but full-on addiction to yeah uh if you lost your ability to access the augmented reality then you're like separated from the rest of the world in an even more dramatic way than we are say if facebook yeah. goes down and then we're all also simultaneously in a pandemic or whatever and that that's what's interesting because I, I guess you can sort of consider yourself a pioneer of augmented reality glasses because they are already being used but not not nearly at the scale that they might be in 10 years uh, so you're sort of seeing how the technology develops and so for example when tech, when social media was a new thing it was made with a positive uh idea in mind and it ended up being this addictive thing that was just you know driving consumerism or whatever you want to call it and you know that's sort of something that i guess using more ai and vr and ar things that you know the the people that lead those industries are going to have to look out for uh so they don't run into the same issues because yeah. addiction to to these sort of technologies is definitely real and i feel like people don't admit that simply because it's something that seems so normal in our lives these days and if you see this being more normal in the future, uh, you know, take the positive side of it, I guess. Uh, sort of curveball there, sorry. But uh, yeah, wow, I didn't know I had that many uses, honestly. Uh, and definitely now that, that I know who you are and I follow you, I will also be seeing how that develops over time and what sort of work you do with that so do you want to go into the COVID now how that has sort of impacted you and also since you mentioned it that you also want to create your own movie now which uh, I guess can capture this detachment and everything was that inspired also by the pandemic um it was inspired by a couple things the pandemic was one of the major factors in it because like the whole film industry was shut down for like six months essentially or like seven or eight months in my case and I wanted to be able to make something that required no one else or like very few other people to where I could just film it all myself I could film myself doing all this stuff and do all the visual effects and because I already know how to do augmented reality stuff. So I could probably even just use real augmented reality to fake all these scenarios, you know, and, and not actually have to do the visual effects. So the pandemic forced me to sort of think about it in that regard, like just what can I do by myself without access to a studio and all that. And yeah, so, so it was definitely a driving force behind 
that. And then there's this m short film on YouTube called Hyper Reality. And it sort of explores what actually they call, well, actually the term hyper reality comes from the book, uh, Simulations and Simulacra, um, where in, in the short film, it's like just AR run amok. And you know, this per it's, all from this person's perspective. So it's an entirely POV short film. And they're like on a bus and there's just being bombarded with ads and stuff. And then they go to a grocery store and it's just ridiculous like bombardment with ads and, you know, buy these. Try not to use too many cuss words. Like I know, I know it's okay, but I'm trying to, trying to avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> buy all this crap, you know, and then like so it's like them just being bombarded with ar essentially in all sorts of ways where it's like the crosswalks and ads in the sky and ads on literally everything and that i wanted to explore like essentially what would happen after say if someone was living with that their entire life and then they lose access to the system for some reason like their neural implant that they have that connects to their ar contact lenses or something just breaks and they it's like them going on an adventure to try to resolve that and then I don't know maybe learning that they don't want to go back to that or something you know I don't know haven't thought about all the details but working on it so is the pandemic like the isolation and being able to film something by myself coupled with wanting to explore that world after like post world so yeah um and also you mentioned something about chips planted in what were you trying to uh oh so so for like you know distant future ar or even like slightly near a couple of decades at least ar um, you know, Elon Musk is working on Neuralink and I don't want to keep referencing him because there's a whole bunch of other people working on this technology, but yeah. he's the most famous example of this stuff where he has a company called Neuralink that is a brain machine interface where they have a chip that they put in your brain and it connects a whole bunch of electrodes to your neurons and stuff and they can detect information. And then that can possibly lead to you know, what, like not just a computer receiving information from your brain, but being like a two-way connection where a computer can put information into your brain or you can control the computer with your brain. And then like, I take that a couple steps to where you can, instead of having a computer in your pocket to control the AR glasses, it could be like a neural link type implant or it could even be an offloaded thing that can read neurons but we're not at that point at the moment and so it could like make you see things essentially by triggering the rods and, and cones in your eyeballs and you can essentially have like electronically induced hallucinations to see things like it could implant stuff into your vision and then also like there's another route that that could go and it's more distant future i would say where they could probably use like pharmaceuticals and stuff and make it to where you could ha 
essentially live in your own version of reality by having like controlled hallucination type events. And yeah, I, I had heard of Neuralink and a lot of that technology sounds cool and definitely a lot of it will be put to good use, but that's also really scary to think about. Uh, where essentially if, we're, if we can live in that alternate reality, there's going to be no incentive to worry about the things that are actually going on here. Yeah, and there, there's a movie actually that I, you know, obviously I don't know what kind of movies you like, but I think you might enjoy for philosophical reasons because it explores, it was another one of my like motivations for augmented reality related stuff where it, it so the movie is called The Congress and it was made in like 2009, I think, maybe 2014 or something, I don't know, called The Congress. And it's about this washed up actress that they offer to what essentially amounts to volumetrically scan her. They're like, hey, we want you to do one last job. Not try not to spoil too much, but they're like, mm -hmm. we want to volumetrically scan you so you can just go on living your life and you'll never have to act again. So they create like synthetic actors out of these people. And then it, and they end up going into like pharmaceutical augmented reality and the loss of uh, motivations and stuff because people are allowed to live in their own reality. And it's a pretty grim, like dystopian future is what it ends up yeah. appearing like. But Well, I do enjoy dystopian films or Black Mirror, which I'm not sure if you watch, which is basically just a bunch of dystopian that's my that's episodes. my bible right there <laughs> Black yeah this great show uh but you know those things when when you watch those sort of films or shows they seem absurd but i feel like we're also not that far away from a world like that yeah uh, they do a really good job of making it just re just close enough in terms of future yeah. related stuff that definitely like you can relate to every single episode. Nothing's like Buck Rogers living in the, you know, in a space station. Exactly. It's like none of it's too ridiculous to where you can't relate. And we have technology today that's probably entirely capable of doing what happens in some of that. Yeah, uh, for sure. So, yeah, I guess that's that's the only worry about it. And especially for the younger people that are just being born now or will be born in five years that are going to directly be born into this world. It's different for, you know, me, I guess, eventually one day I'll also be your age and I'll have that experience. And we've lived without augmented reality, lived without phones, without social media, and then it's been introduced into our lives. But for future generations are gonna be born directly into it. And it's gonna be interesting to see the psychological effects over the future, like how people develop essentially in a world surrounded by technology or entirely driven by technology uh, or what people are going to do for a living. Yeah. If, if everything's going to be eliminated. In, uh, in, I, I definitely agree on that point. And so I had worked in robotics and I programmed robots that essentially made yeah. other robots and stuff or like robot components. And I, I'm firmly for automation. Like, I really think that it will, it can free us from like the, the burden of like 
the perpetual perpetually needing to work like the bondage of the labor cycle that we all have you know and but it doesn't seem like that that's the route that all the major industrialists want it to go or like would like say not to target uh jeff bezos or anything you know i'm just going with the most common examples amazon has like automated so much of their stuff but they're not using like the the money's not going anywhere other than into their own pockets or you know maybe they have their charities and stuff like amazon smile but they're still just amassing major amounts of wealth yeah. instead of freeing people from work it's just like oh you freed me from work and now i'm now i got all this money and people are just losing their jobs and i really it's, think it's sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say i really think that like automation has the ability to make the world significantly better because then we'd all have the the possibilities of or opportunity to do things that we want to do whereas everyone just imagines oh no people will be lazy and they'll just sit on their ass all day and do nothing which they already do that or a lot of people already do that and it's because they're so damn tired after working 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week or whatever so like i think yeah if people didn't have jobs and there was like a UBI type thing, then it would allow people to do things that they wanted to do. And, and if- And also there's a uh, wage gap increased uh, ridiculously. Like when my dad would work, he would tell me that the CEO of his company would make maybe 10 to 20 times as much as he made. And nowadays, you know, you mentioned Jeff Bezos with Amazon. It could be hundreds of thousands of times what the employees make. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, hopeful for the future, though. Hopeful. And I, yeah. I feel like medicine is definitely something that this sort of technology will, will help with a lot. Uh, well, I mean, they say 50, supposedly 50% of my generation will make it past 105, which again, also sounds really cool, but I don't want to live that long. If I'm being so honest, I don't know what I would do at a hundred years old. So again, it's, there's a lot of pros and cons to the way technology is advancing and, and automation. Uh, yeah. I don't know what a lot of people are going to do. Hopefully podcasting will support my life. <laughs> Uh, down yeah, down yeah. the line. Yeah, best of luck. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. And you, obviously, this is I can't I social media, right? The second I started using it for this podcast, and started following people like you or people that are within a podcasting community, it's a lot healthier. You know, you network, you make these connections, you're able to talk to like-minded people, and the fact that on my tenth episode. I have someone with a following like you, uh, which coincidentally lives in the same city, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, I would have never met in my life otherwise. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and I think podcasting is so powerful because, again, now I give a platform for other people to learn about this. Uh, so, yeah, especially when you know, we're, we're the generation of information and, but there's also so much crap out there. 
there's also the opposite of information. There, so there is. Yeah. Uh, no, any final think... comments you'd like to make? Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, I was I was just gonna say, and I think it's good that you cover such like a wide variety of topics and stuff in your episodes, like like one within within the individual episode, and then also just like as a whole, from what I've listened to, it's. Yeah, like you had mentioned, it's just all sorts of different people's perspectives, and yeah, it sort of, I feel, you know, connects to some of the like visual artwork that I did, like I've done, revolving around fractals. Which, if people aren't aware of what fractals are, they're infinitely complex patterns that are self-similar across mm -hmm. all scales, and they're created by iterating iterating patterns a whole bunch of times into the macro scale and i feel like thus far your podcast within our conversations we cover all sorts of different topics and then within your podcast as a whole yeah it's the same sort of thing just on the larger scale and 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 the, the ironic part is that supposedly all this social media and all the all this technology is meant to connect us and i feel like it does the opposite people will not you know, you go to the movie theater and you're never going to sit directly next to someone. You know, you're always going to try to find a space aside. Oh, and yeah, I, especially not anymore. <laughs> oh, well, well, now definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that not anybody's going anyways. But yeah, I also like to, to sort of see the power of conversation. The fact that you really can talk to anybody. Like before this, I had no idea about augmented reality glasses or technology. Uh, I had never met anybody that had made their own film, sort of a small film production. You know, all you see is Hollywood and Netflix uh, and skateboarding, you know, which is something that seems like it's just like a cool trendy thing to do when you're a teenager, but it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Oh um, yeah. Skate, skateboarding especially has influenced my life in ways that are like difficult to describe even like, like you sort of, it psychologically affects you in a way if you like really keep at it because you have to you know that you're going to get hurt and like injury is like a hundred percent like guaranteed yeah. and failure is guaranteed and you have to be able to fail exactly. millions of times hun hundreds of thousands of times and yeah. the only way that you succeed is through failing like hundreds of times and I know it's like basically a ripoff of the Thomas Edison quote but he's a ripoff anyway so <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many people have said that success is just being able to stand up after failure yeah uh, but it does have truth to it no matter how cliche it is yeah and uh, skateboarding really drove that into my head and I think a lot of people I know's heads like in in and it's like a physical way too so like you physically yeah. get injured yeah, literally. And, yeah. And you it's, feel the effects of it. And everybody has their own version of that. Uh, I guess this is a really simple example, but like Joe Rogan with martial arts uh, and how that gave him different pathways. So seeing that with skateboarding is also really interesting. And I didn't know it tied hand in hand with film. Uh, and it seems like you, 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 you seem to be at the beginning of technology. Like you were posting when when YouTube wasn't even a year old back in 2005 and now you're at the start of this advanced 
uh, augmented reality technology. So I, I really do wish you the best in the future. And hopefully lockdown can, can get done so you can make some more films too. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And I, I, I definitely appreciate you having me on and I, I'll definitely share the shit out of this podcast and make sure other people listen. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if people do watch it, they're going to get to know a lot more about you that they didn't know before. Oh yeah. Uh, people know that I skateboard or they know I do augmented reality or they know like yeah. it's, but I never really told the story to many people about like how Primitiva was made, which also I'm going to skip back to that. There's, there's one really funny addition yeah, to that ahead. story. Um, so we were there for five days and then this was like March, 2017. So it was right after Trump got inaugurated and cause he was elected in 2016, inaugurated yeah. January. And, uh, but like I said, I believe it was March. And that was at the same time that his travel ban started and it just backed up immigration completely. So I was unaware of this and I missed my first flight coming back. And then I got another one. And then I got searched, like random searched on my way in to the plane. And I almost missed my second, f f the, the second flight from Costa Rica, like, which would have yeah. been the first one, but I missed the first one. So then right when I land in Florida, um, travel ban had started and immigration was just like miles long. So I ended up getting stuck in Florida for like a day or two. And then from Florida to Arizona, when I landed, it was like another major delay because of some bull crap with TSA and all that. And I missed another flight. <laughs> it was just like, I lost like- I didn't, I didn't know life. that the, I didn't know the travel bans created that much hassle. It apparently did. Cause it was like, it went into effect while I was gone. And then when I came back, it was just all screwed up and ruined three days. I lost like three days of my life to that. And like, you know, I had to pay for my <laughs> hotel room in Florida and I was all poor at the time. And I'm like, no, was, yeah. yeah, but all part of that crazy experience. It yeah. also seemed like the film was falling apart a day before with everybody was, sort of dropping out. So. It was doomed and I, I scraped something together. So yeah, definitely something of, to be proud of. Though. I'm proud Absolutely. of the film for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch it. I, I watched about like the first 20 minutes, but I, I, what is it like an hour and 10 minutes long? Yeah. It's like an hour or six yeah. minutes, I think. So don't expect yeah. to like learn too much or anything, but it's, it's, it's just the, like being able to appreciate someone else's product, you know? Yeah. Uh, when we, we don't open ourselves up to that and it, we it just open ourselves up to what we're given the easy stuff. So. And it was all run and gun, you know, done on ultra low budget. Like we all paid for our own flights and stuff. We paid for our own food. And, you know, I was using borrowed cameras. We had no external audio equipment. So that's why some of the audio is really terrible. Um, and that's also the beauty of it. Everybody started there. Yeah. And that's, that's how I see it. Like you're still young, you know, and uh, I, God knows how much life we have ahead of us, but everybody had to start off like that. And I feel like also technology has been able to give us that time capsule, like, and you're able to look back on your YouTube videos from 10 years ago. And in 10 years, I'll be able to look back at my 
first 10 podcast episodes when I was doing Zoom calls on my laptop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so hopefully more organized films for the future, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you coming on and, and telling the stories because it was a lot more than I expected. And I, I wasn't ready for a lot of the vocabulary you threw in there. I, yeah, there, there's so, so much other stuff I'd like to elaborate on, but obviously we've been on here for a long time. I don't yeah, want, I don't the want thing is you also, you also have to give the people a, a, a length of time that they're actually going to be like, okay, I could commit to this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't rule out the, the possibility of a second episode. So we could definitely stay in touch for that. Uh, thank you again. Thank you to everybody watching. Definitely spiced up. Can't believe we went from getting into skateboarding to augmented reality at the end. Crazy conversation. And yeah. yeah. Have a blessed day, everybody. Peace.